And uh, the other one is where Jesus uh, plainly and most forcefully, I think, uh, said that he was God. You know, and this is when, of course, they, they realized what he was saying. And this is when the conversation ended and they started picking up stones to, to throw at him. So let me just read the section. It's only about nine verses, nine, ten verses, and we'll, uh, and we'll talk about it. Uh, you remember what we talked about last time? They have Jesus has been having this ongoing argument back and forth with these Pharisees, uh, with the people. He's in the temple. He's been talking to them about who he is. He says, "If you you come to me, you'll never thirst. If you come to me, I'm the one that God has sent. I am the Messiah. I'm the one that God is uh, has uh, has brought to show you the way to salvation." And of course, the religious people they were like, "You know, how can you say all these things? We're we're God's people, and we say who." You know, we say we haven't given you permission to be our Messiah. We haven't given you permission and we're the religious authorities. And so they're going back and forth over and over again. The last thing we talked about last week, if you remember, was they said Jesus basically told them, you guys are children of the devil and I'm a child of God and I am the son of God and I can make you free. You remember when he said that? You'll be free indeed. If, if. And so Jesus explains his identity to them and it got to the point where they just thought he was crazy. In verse 48 it says, Then answered the Jews, and they said unto him, after what Jesus said to them, he says, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and has a devil. They called him a Samaritan, and they said, You have a devil. And Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my father, and you do dishonor me. And I seek not my own glory. There is one that seeketh after me. Verily, verily, I say unto you, which means truly, truly, amen, amen, is literally what it says. I say unto you, if a man keeps my saying, he shall never see death. And so Jesus is explaining his identity in this whole section. What's going on here is that the the people that he's talking to are quickly approaching a point where there is no turning back. Um, Jesus has offered them uh, invitation after invitation. He says, I am the, you know, I'm the, if any man thirsts, come to me and drink. I'm the light of the world. If, you know, I'm the one that shines in dark. He's offered them so many different opportunities, so many different invitations to come to him and to, and to trust in him. And they've just rejected them one right after the other. They found a way to, uh, to say, I'm not doing that. We're not believing you. We're not listening to you. They found a way to argue with him. They've talked about different things. He's from Galilee. He's from, you know, whatever. And they uh, they have basically found a way to reject what he's saying. Now, what's going on here is they are they're quickly approaching a place where there won't be, there's a, they're at a point of no return. And what that is, is when God uh, when God you know, God comes to you in your heart and, you know, while the preaching of the gospel is going on or while you're reading the word or, or, or whatever, you know, you're sitting at home, whatever. God will come to you and, and, and the spirit will convict you and, and, and all those things go on. There's, there's a time, and we saw it in Romans 1, where after, after a while, God just turns a person over to what they desire. You know, if you say, for instance, I don't want God, I want this. And God says, hey, come to me. And he says, I don't want to come to you. I want to come on this. And it's just, you know, over and over again, there's a point in which God just turns you over to what you want. If you want the world and you want to live in sin, if you want to do all those things, then God just... 
turns you over to that. We saw it in Romans 1. You remember when we read it? I can go back and read it if any of y'all don't remember. He said that they, uh, they exchanged the glory of God for created things, and so God turned them over to their own desires. Well, these Pharisees here are approaching that point. They're approaching the point where, where um, the Spirit of God won't strive uh, with man anymore. Now, does that mean, when, when you hit that point, does it mean that you are going, God, please save me, and God's going, nope, you're past the point of no return. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is you're passing a point where your heart is so hard that it won't hear God's invitation. It won't hear God's call. It won't, it won't hear God's message to you. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? I'm not saying you're like, oh, God, please help me, and God's like, nope. I already gave you a hundred chances. It's too late. No, God's God's call, God's love, God's all that is still out there, but your heart is so hard that it just doesn't doesn't receive that anymore. We'll see it right here. Uh, Jesus told them straight out. He said, "Look, I'm I'm from God," and they they demeaned him. They called him a Samaritan, which was kind of a racial slur back then to call somebody a Samaritan. To be a Samaritan meant that you weren't actually a true Jew. You weren't a keeper of God's law because uh, the Samaritans only only believed in the first five books of the Old Testament. They didn't accept the rest of it. Um, so there was a lot of things. The Jews hated the Samaritans. If you remember in John chapter 5, uh, Jesus went through Samaria to see the woman at the well. You remember that? And uh, they were like, the woman was shocked that Jesus would even talk to her. You know, because the Samaritans were such outcasts. So they're saying, they're, Jesus has told them plainly, look, I'm, I'm, I'm from God. God sent me here to give you this message, to give you this salvation. And they're, they basically just fell back on name calling. Now, they said, you're a Samaritan and you have a demon. Like, you're a nutball. You know, the, 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 uh, the, the evil world is telling you to tell us this stuff, not God. God's not sending you this message. Uh, demons are sending you this message. And so Jesus warns them. I love this warning. It's real subtle. In verse uh, 50, he says, he says, I seek not my own glory. There is one that seeketh and judgeth, which he's saying he's the judge. Uh, basically, he is telling them, he's warning them. He's saying, look, I don't have a demon. Can you see? I can see frustration on his face. I don't have a demon. I'm honoring my father. You're dishonoring me. And my father, the one who sent me, he's the one that's going to judge. He's going to judge. He's telling him, look, there's going to come a day when you're going to stand before my father. And you can call me Samaritan. You can call me demon. You can call me anything you want to. You can say I'm lying. You can say I'm wrong. Whatever you say. But there's one up there, God. He's going to judge. And he's going to judge based on what you did with me. Okay, now that's, for us, that's a no-brainer. Hey, Steve. That's a no-brainer. But for them, uh, for them, it was like, what did he just say? I mean, we're, we're Pharisees. We're, we're Jewish people. We're, we're God's people. We keep the law. We, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. We're, I mean, we've got all this going on. We're the most religious people on the planet. We study the law. We study the books. We study God's Word. God spoke through Moses to us. He spoke to Abraham. We have the whole history of God working through our family. Uh, who is this guy to come and say that he is the standard by which God is going to judge us? Uh, and to them, it was it was kind of uh, what would be the right word? 
Come on, y'all help me out. They were, well, they were mad. They were offended. They were offended, I guess would be the right word. They were offended. When somebody says, hey, what you're doing right there is sin, you get offended, don't you? You either get offended or you get humble, one of the two. More times than not, you get offended. So, Jesus is the bark. Now, here again, you see the same thing we've seen over and over and over again. Can you worship God without going through Christ? Can you love God, serve God, speak to God? Can you have communion with God? Is God listening to your prayer if you're not going through Christ? No, not at all. Uh, Psalm 66, 18, I believe it is, says that if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. It doesn't say he cannot. It says he will not. The only prayer that the only prayer that God will, um, I say he don't hear. I'm not saying like he's like, what was that? You know, it's not like that. He just, he won't accept. The only prayer he accepts from the mouth uh, of, of sinful man outside of Christ is, Lord, forgive me for my sin. I'm a sinner. Please save me. That's the only prayer that he'll, that he'll hear and he'll accept. So the, the folks that are, you know, praying for grandma or whatever that are outside of Christ, you can't get to God outside of Christ. Now, for us, I mean, you're looking at me like, okay, I got that. That's no, you know, we know that, we know that. But I mean, think about what he's saying. Now, God has this history has gone on. You know, Abraham and and Isaac and Jacob and the Red Sea and and just all this has gone on where God has shown Himself to these men and these families and these prophets and they sent prophets and God spoke through Jeremiah and He spoke through Isaiah and He spoke through all these men and this this whole history, this whole background of God speaking. And then all of a sudden, here comes Jesus on the scene, a man standing there going, "Hey." If you're not coming through me, you're not talking to God. Uh, can you see how hard it would be? I mean, it would have to take it would have to take God changing somebody's heart to accept that. The same way it takes God changing your heart to be saved. You know, you have relatives that you know you're praying for, or whatever, and it's going to take God's it's going to take God's spirit to change. Y'all with me? Anything y'all want to add? About this judgment, he's warning them. He's warning them for the last time in this chapter, for sure. But the door is quickly closing. I mean, the door is quickly closing on the opportunity that these Pharisees will have to accept Jesus. In the next, in the next chapter, we'll talk about the, the man that was born blind. And we'll see at the end of that chapter that uh, Jesus basically tells these same Pharisees, you guys are blind. And you're never, you're not going to see and so the, they're in serious danger. There's, there's a point of no return. And today, I think, uh, if, if I'm going to transfer all this over to what we see today, I think the point of no return for us today, it, I can't say when it is, you know, like, oh, no, you've had, because God gave me, you know, hundreds of chances, thousands of chances. And he would have been right to cut me off at any time. But, you know, he didn't. He kept coming and kept offering. So you can't look at somebody and say, well, they've passed the point of no, you know. There's no way for me to know, you know, who God has turned over and who didn't. If you would have saw me in my life, 
uh, before I was saved, you would have thought, there ain't no way that guy's ever going to be saved. You know, and so you know, we can't be. The point of that is to say is for us to to know that there is uh, there is a point coming where uh, the door of the ark will be shut, so to speak. There is a point coming when God will say, "Hey, that's enough. I've had enough." And so it's urgent. It's urgent that we that we reach out to our family. It's urgent that we uh, make sure that we are in the faith. We examine ourselves to make sure that we know that we know that we know. Yes. In what chapter and what verse is that up to? We're in John chapter 8. John 8. And we're is in... That the verse, is that the verse 52 or what verse is that up is what we're in verse 50 right now. That's why I was lost. Yeah, he says, And I seek my own glory. There is one that seeketh, and he judgeth. And we're talking about the judge. God is, he's saying, My father is going to judge. My father is going to be the one that judges. So 51 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keeps my saying, he shall never see death. What Before we talk about what that means, I want you to think about this. These men have rejected Jesus over and over. Not only have they rejected him, they want him dead. They want him, I want to kill him. We want him out of the picture. We want him gone. We want to get back to our religious life. We want to get back to our stuff. And yet, Jesus warns them, saying, look, my father's going to judge. He says, There's the one that honors me is the one that's going to be judging. And then right after that, as these men are approaching the point of no return, Christ offers them grace once again. He's talking, think about it. He's not just standing up in the temple going, hey, if anybody, you know. He's saying that to these guys who are right there calling him a liar, calling him crazy, calling him a Samaritan, calling him demon-possessed. He's saying to you, he's saying to these guys, he's saying, you guys, if any man keeps my word, he'll never see that. So he's even in the midst of... The door's closing. You better hurry up and get in. You've done rejected a hundred times. And now here, you know, I'm warning you, even in the midst of that, Jesus is still offering them grace. What? Like he said, keep my saying. He didn't say, like, keep the law, keep my word, accept me. Did they, what did they think that that meant when he said, keep my saying? He says, keep my... If a man keep my saying. My saying. I would bet that that's the same word as words. Probably logos, which means the same. If he said, like, keep my law, wouldn't they be, like, going, right? Yeah, I think he's saying the same thing that he was saying earlier. Remember when he said, uh, my word, if, if any man keep my word? That was last week, wasn't it? Somebody look it up while I'm, while I'm looking this up. John 8. But wasn't what he was saying was to believe on him? Yes. His word is the sum of of his teaching. There is one that seeketh really, really. If any man keep my... he's keep. They've translated it saying, but it's the same word. Logos. So it's my word, the same thing. If, you, if any man keeps my word, if any man keeps my saying, if any man keeps my... But would they know that Right. Well, he wouldn't be talking about the law as far as uh, he was talking about himself. Keep my word. I think they would because of the long conversation. You remember now we're in chapter eight, and he's been talking to these guys since chapter seven. You know, or yeah. 
chapter 6 actually, the festival. He's still, we're still in the festival of tabernacles. He's still, this is the same place or just a few minutes ago. I mean, it's been a long time for us because we've gone weeks and weeks and weeks. But a few minutes ago, he told them, I'm the light of the world. I'm the light. A few minutes ago, he told them, if any man thirsts, you come to me. And these are the sayings that he's talking about. He's not talking about uh, things that they don't know about. He's talking about the things that he's been standing up here telling them. He said, if any man keeps my word, you know, and they wouldn't be thinking of the law because as far as they're concerned, they were keeping the law. They, that, that was their claim to fame, that we keep the law. But the reality was, they, and of course, we know they weren't really keeping the law. They were just doing it outwardly. See what I mean? Does that make sense? So when he says, my word, I think he, or my saying, I think he's talking about the sum of his teaching, that I am the Messiah, that God has sent me to show you the way to salvation, that God has sent me to, you know, to, to be the Jewish Messiah and to bring the, the people to God, reconciliation, all that. Does that make sense? Okay. I think that's what he's saying. And, uh, but what about never see death? What does that mean? What do you think? Did any of y'all read that and think like, wow, that's kind of... I'm not sure what that means. It is talking about being saved, but does that mean you'll never see death? Okay. I'm just asking. I'm not trying to trap you into a wrong answer. Because there are many times... I remember... Saying, you know, that what, you know, what I think is that he's saying, you, know, you keep my sayings, you will stay with me. I am light. You're, you're not going to be cast away from me, which away from me, hell, you know, is, a, is dead. It's a separation of God. Sure. Uh, I don't have no trouble with that at all. I think that's a good application. Did you going to say something? Yeah, back in chapter 6, he was talking about, you know, any anyone that comes to him, the Father brings him, and and they have eternal life, and they raise them up at the last day. Right. And so it was like, you know, so I was, to me, those kind of go together in a sense that that it gives you eternal life. Yeah. And your eternal life starts now. Right. Like if you if you're saved and. It, you have eternal life right now. Like, I'm not waiting around to die before I have eternal life. My eternal life has already started. And so what that means is that I'm going to be, you know, and I could take you through passages in, 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 in Revelation, Matthew, and that, that really explain all this. But uh, just for a short version, I'm going to be me forever. I'm going to be Jason. Forever, I'm going to have my personality. Hopefully, not as sarcastic in heaven as I am now. But I'm going to have I'm going to have the memories that I have here. I'll have there. I'm going to know the people that I know here. I'll know there. Uh, the, the I will not lose anything when I'm transferred into into glory. I will only gain. I'll gain knowledge. I'll gain understanding. I'll and I'll continue to gain knowledge. You know, for eternity. And so. Jesus pointed to uh, a section. Let me read this. It's uh, I wrote it down. A few of these. He pointed. He was arguing with the Pharisees and and a couple of places in the Gospels. And he said, when when God spoke to Moses in the bush, he told them 
I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then Jesus Himself, in, in Mark chapter 12 and Matthew 22, He said, He used this to say, God is not the God of the dead, but the living. And so what He was saying was, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still living somewhere. They're still, they still exist. And they are still Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, y'all know that story where Jesus appeared in glory to three of the disciples and He was revealing His glory and the Father spoke and said, This is my Son, listen to Him. Uh, Elijah and Moses appeared next to Jesus. And they were still Moses and they were still Elijah. Their identity hadn't changed even though they had been dead for hundreds and hundreds of years. And then in Luke, it even says that Moses and Elijah on that mountain were speaking to each other. They were speaking to each other about Jesus's exodus. So it says, like, talking about the coming crucifixion. And so Moses and Elijah were not just some kind of spirit floating around in a cloud somewhere. They were still Moses. They were still Elijah. They were still able to speak to each other. They were still able... I mean, they retained everything in life. So when Jesus says, the one who keeps my sayings, he'll never see death. It's not saying your body won't grow old. It's not saying you won't get sick. It's not saying, you know, we still live in flesh. We still live in a fallen world. Uh, That stuff is coming our way unless Christ returns first, uh, we are all going to get sick. We're all going to, you know, unless you pass in a car crash or something like that or a heart attack, you're going to end up in a hospital somewhere. And so what it's saying is what makes you you, you know, the, the thing that makes Jimmy, Jimmy, like you could get a scalpel and a doctor could cut Jimmy all open and he could not find what makes Jimmy's personality this way. See what I mean? You can cut his brain in pieces and lay them all out in a microscope and you could not find Jimmy's soul. You could not find what makes his personality the way he is. You couldn't find what what it is that makes him him. Uh, but what? Can't find Jimmy. Can't find Jimmy. <laughs> but whatever that is, is going to live forever. You understand? So what Christ did, you know, and there's lots of things, places in the New Testament where it says that death is defeated. Death is an enemy that we don't have to fear anymore. Death doesn't have a sting anymore. And the reality is that a lot of us still fear death. You know, we still we still look with um, uh, angst about, you know, I'm going to die one of these days. And, and it, it just seems like we're not... Um, trusting in what Christ himself showed us what death would be like. For us, death is no big deal because, guess what? Nothing changes except for I, I shed this old hurting body, you know. Every day I've, I've got arthritis in my shoulders, i got arthritis in my knees, you know, I'm just hurting all the time. And so for me, I'll still be me. I'll still know what I know. I'll still know the people that I know. I, I won't lose anything except for all this junk that's going wrong with my body. See, so really death has no sting. I, the, the, the death has no... Uh, yeah, it has no dominion. It's something. It's something to look forward to. I mean, it's something to. To you ever heard those folks that say, you know, they'll say, "Boy, I just, I just wish I could go right now. I wish I could." You know, sometimes I'm like, you know, have a nice trip. I'll wait till next week. You know, but really, the reality is, if you trust in what Scripture says, then death is. 
I mean, it's not it's not an enemy anymore. It's a friend. It's it's something that we look we long for. We look forward to. It's something that we have hope in. And therefore, you see people that have they, they've lost children. They you know house blown down, tornado, fire, tragedy, earthquake. You know, lost loved ones. You go through all these sufferings, all these trials of life. Uh, if, if Christ is your Savior, if, he, if the Spirit of God indwells you, you have a hope that surpasses all those things. You know, I can, I can go through the most intense suffering knowing that my hope doesn't rest in this life. And, hey, the worst thing that can happen to me is that I would die. And, and that's then, a good thing right there, you know, that you take out with Christ and heaven starting right now. And, you know, once you accept Christ... That, that, that's a good analogy to Jesus is talking about. With him, there is always a hope. There is always a living hope. And, you know, if you, if you don't have that, it is death because you, you have no hope. You're hopeless. Yeah, there's nothing. It, it's as good as it gets right here. Right. And that, you know, that is its own That's, yeah. That's awful. To think that this is going to, I mean, enjoy yourself because this is all the enjoyment you're ever going to have. Uh, I, yes. Even when I was lost, I, 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 I don't have time. Y'all know that story. Um, so no death. Uh, John 3.36 says, He who believes in me has eternal life right now. Has it. John 11, 25 through 26, we'll get to in a few weeks. It's this where he says, I am the resurrection and life. He said, uh, if a man believes in me, though he were dead, he shall live. Yet he shall live. Death doesn't have, doesn't have any sting. Uh, let me read these two things and we'll move on. 2 Timothy 1.10 says, But it is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death. Jesus has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Okay, two more things. I need to hurry because we uh, I'm running out of time. Uh, Jesus explains that He is the freedom from death. So for you and I, death has no power over us. Death has no sting. Death has no. Uh, there is no worry about it. There is no fear of it anymore. Uh, you know, we have a fear of just of. Because it, uh, it's walking into the unknown, you know, it's like, you know, if I walk into a, you know, you know, if I'm going to Russia or something, I'd be afraid because I've never been there. But it doesn't have the fear of, oh, no, what's going to happen to me because nothing's going to happen. I'm still going to be me. I'm going to be me forever. And it's going to be all good. And so death has no more sting. We're not afraid of it anymore. Uh, the second thing, Jesus, the first thing is Jesus is the, is the freedom from death for us. If any man keeps my word, never see death. The second thing is that he's the fulfillment of God's promise. This was, it's really interesting to me. I don't know how interesting y'all will find it. Um, Verse 52 says, after Jesus says that, you know, you won't see death, then they start really saying, now we know you're crazy. Verse 52 says, then Jesus said unto them, now we know that you have a devil. Abraham is dead and the prophets, uh, and thou sayest, if a man keep my saying, he shall never taste death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets who are dead? He said, who, who makest thou thyself? He said, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? I mean, you're saying that you can give us where we won't, you can make it where we won't see death. You must be better than Abraham, because he did. You must be better than Moses, because he did. You must be better than all the great men God has used throughout the ages, because they're all dead. 
You know, so who he's saying he's saying, you know, basically he's saying, look, I'm better than all these guys. I'm God's Messiah, I'm God's anointed, I'm the one that's gonna bring you freedom from death, and they're going, Who do you think you are, man? The greatest men that we've known, the the God has God spoke to Moses face to face in the tabernacle, and you're saying that you can give us something that Moses couldn't give us? You could give us something that Abraham couldn't give us? They're basically questioning him, and and, uh, in verse 54, he doesn't argue, he just simply tells them the truth. Again, he says, if I honor myself, my honor's nothing. He said, it's my my father that honors me. He says, I don't have to tell you that I'm greater than Abraham. My father's telling you I'm greater than Abraham. I don't have to tell you that I'm better than Moses and that I deserve more honor than Moses or all the prophets. My father's the one that's honoring me. The one that you're calling your God, he's the one that's saying that I'm greater than Abraham, that I'm greater than Moses, that I'm greater than all these people. So it says, uh, you have not known him. Now, this is really a gut punch. He said, he said, it's funny to me, it may not be funny to y'all. Verse 55 says, you have not known him, talking about God. He says, at the end of verse 54, it says, my father honoreth me. He says, of whom you say that he is your God. He said, the one that's honoring me is the one that you say is your God. He says, yet you have not known him. You don't know God. He said, but I know him. And he says, and if I should say I know him not, then I'll be a liar like you. <laughs> he said, so basically he's saying, you don't know God, and I do know God, and you're saying you know God, and if I say I don't know God, then I'm going to be a liar just like you. So he, he's basically calling them a liar to their face. And he says, but I know him. And he says, here's the thing, I keep his sayings. He said, this is the one thing that I do that Abraham didn't do, that Moses didn't do. And they were, they were righteous in the fact that they were devoted to God. They were kept the sacrifices. They did those things. Jesus is the only man, the only God man. He's the only God man. But the only man that ever lived that kept the law perfectly. Never once did he sin. Never once did he break God's law. Never once was anything charged to his account in the Father's eyes. And that is the only way that he could go to the cross and pay for my sin, pay for your sin. Because if he had sinned, he'd be paying for his own sin. See what I mean? Make sense? But since he was pure and clean and there was no stain upon him, he could take on the sin uh, of the rest of the world. i got to hurry. They're almost done. Y'all with me? He fulfills that. He, uh, he is the fulfillment. Boy, I wish I could do a whole class on this part right here. He's the fulfillment of God's promise. Uh, verse 56 says, Your father Abraham rejoices, rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Now, and he saw it. Abraham saw Abraham looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. He saw he looked okay, think about this way. I'm gonna give you a quick rundown because I gotta hurry, but this is really this I enjoy this kind of stuff. Huh? Well if we don't get done, we will. We'll probably have to. Um, in Genesis, the whole the whole Bible is one story. You might think it's just books all scattered together and put in one binding, but it's one big story. In Genesis, you've got, you know, you know the story. Uh, God created, Adam and Eve fell. You know, they got, when God was, uh, when God was cursing Adam and Eve and the serpent, he said, you know, Adam, you're going to work the toll of your labor, the sweat of your brow. To Eve, you're going to pain and childbirth and you're going to have those things. But when he cursed the serpent for what he did, he told the serpent, he said, 
He said, I'm going to bring forth a seed from the woman. And, and that seed will crush your head. And you will bruise its head. Y'all remember that? Y'all remember that promise? It's Genesis 3.15 if you want to look it up. And the rest of the story of the Bible, and that seed of the woman was Jesus. Eventually. That, that seed of the woman that God would bring forth that would crush Satan's head. And it would be bruised by Satan's heel, which is crucifixion, was Jesus. And so... God, God told them that he would be bringing forth the Messiah in Genesis chapter 3, at the very beginning of the book. And then, as you see, it was, it was through Abraham's family that that seed, the promise, I'm going to bring forth a seed, and it's going to be a great nation, and it's going to bless the world from Abraham. And then from Abraham, it passed to Isaac, and then from Isaac, it passed to Jacob. And then you see that promise passed down through the family, until it finally got to the, the one that it was promised was Christ. Let me just read. Uh, and so what I'm saying is Abraham was looking forward to this seed of the woman that would crush ser the serpent's head. When God promised Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, I'm just going to read it here. Uh, God promised Abraham, he gave him, he said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I'm going to give you many sons and the world's going to be blessed through you. He said, this is verse 1 in chapter 12 of Genesis, it says, Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show you. And he says, And I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee. I will make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curse thee. And then here's the big promise. It says, And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And it was because... The, the way that promise came about was that Jesus was Abraham's great, 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 grandson. See? So in thee, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So God's promise started in Genesis chapter 3, and it continued going down the line through through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and then Moses. And then and it just went down through the ages, through that family. God directed that promise through the, the family line right to when the day when Jesus would come and he would do away with death and he would do away with sin and he would do away with all those things. So what Jesus is saying, he said, look, you guys can't say that you're Abraham's children. He said, because Abraham looked forward to what I'm here doing. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And so Abraham was looking forward to the fulfillment of the promise. And you're standing here right when the promise is being fulfilled. So Abraham rejoiced knowing that my day would be here. And here I am. And you guys are rejecting me. So you can't say that you're Abraham's children. Does that make sense? Are y'all with me? Any questions about that? I could really go into a lot of detail. That's one of my favorite subjects. He saw it. He saw it. Yeah, he, what it's saying is he looked forward okay. to the coming of Christ. Okay. He didn't know his name would be Jesus. He didn't know Joseph and Mary. He didn't know the whole situation. But he knew God was going to send a Redeemer, a Messiah. I actually know if that was literal, you know, that he saw it. Well, there's a lot, of, a lot of commentators will find different places in the Old Testament where they say this is what they're talking about. Uh, those are all questionable. It could be, might not be, I don't know. But he definitely saw that there was a Messiah. 
Thyatira. Right. Galatians 3, 7, let me just read it to you. It says, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. That's us. And it says, And the Scripture, this is the part I want you to hear, And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee all nations shall be blessed. See what he's saying? He's saying, God knew all this way back when and He preached the gospel to Abraham. And so Jesus is saying here, you know, Abraham saw my day and he rejoiced. And the last thing, so so far we got, I know I'm getting kind of rattled, but so far we got Jesus delivers from death. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise which started way back in Genesis. It, it all culminates in Jesus. And the third thing is Jesus Himself is God. And that's the last thing it says in verse 57. It says, after he says, you know, Abraham rejoiced see my day. 57 says, then said the Jews unto him, thou art not 50 years old and thou hast seen Abraham. And Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Then uh, they took up stones to, to stone him. But Jesus hid himself and they went out of the temple going through the midst of them. Why would they stone him for saying, before Abraham was, I am? Was he just saying, I live before Abraham? No, because that's a reference back to the Old Testament. That that's I right. Was God. What was God's name in the Old Testament? It was I am, Yahweh, Jehovah. It, was, it means I am. He told Moses in the burning bush, he said... Moses said, what name will I give them when I tell them who sent me? And he said, you tell them I am sent you. I am. And so he says, Jesus is telling them, hey, yeah, I'm greater than Abraham. I'm greater than Moses. I'm here to deliver you from death. Why? Because I'm God in human flesh. I'm the I am. And they immediately knew exactly. All the, all the questions have passed away. They've been questioning him. They've been talking to him. They've been trying to, you know, get around his arguments. And then at this point when he says, before Abraham was, before Abraham even existed, I am. They knew exactly what he meant and all the conversations stopped. It's all over with and now they're picking up rocks. We're fixing to kill him. He blasphemed which is capital crime in the temple. So you got, so far Jesus has given us, basically this is the, the clearest that He's made His identity. He will deliver you from death. He is the only fulfillment of all the promises that are culminated in Scripture. And the third thing, He is God in human flesh. Does anybody have any questions about that? If you weren't here for our Trinity lesson and you're kind of shaky on how Jesus could say he's God, but then also talk about his father, uh, you can either, we can do it again if you want to. You can go back to the website and that lesson, the audio for that lesson's on there and the, the, the outline for that lesson's on there. Um, but it's really important that you understand that Jesus is, he's not the father and he's not the spirit. He's the Son, but there's only one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I know it sounds weird for me just saying it, but we've talked about it. We've, we've gone through it. Everybody with me? Y'all got me? Everybody good? Okay, next week we're going to do the whole chapter 9, which is the man born blind. And what I want you to be looking for as you're reading chapter 9, I want you to be looking for this. You got two, you got two kinds of people. You got a blind man at the beginning who 
through the chapter can see better and better and better and better. At first he don't know who Jesus is, then Jesus is a prophet, then at the end of the chapter the blind man says Jesus is Lord, right? And then you got the Pharisees who can see at the beginning, and by the end of the chapter Jesus said, you're the ones blind. So you got two guys, basically, uh, more than two guys, but you got one that's blind at the beginning, one that can see at the beginning, and then they swap roles as they're going through the chapter. The blind man can see at the end, and the religious man is blind at the end. Okay? So y'all be looking for that. Any questions? Everybody good? All right. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for just letting us know, God. I love these lessons that just where you just uh, reveal yourself and you just show us who you are. Um, God, there's a... Just so much in it, just to know who you are and what you've done for us, God, for when, when, when Jesus stands and you just say, this is who I am and I just want you to know me, God, the, the, there's something about that, God, that just, um, it, it just quickens me to my heart. So I thank you, Lord, for showing us today who you are. I thank you for, uh, for revealing to us uh, the things that you do, the, the, the things that you do in us. And so, Father, help us to know you. Thank you for this gospel, the gospel of John, God. That just, uh, it just helps us identify you. It tells us who you are. It tells us your innermost heart, God, and what you've come to do for us. We love you, God. Be with us as we go into service. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If y'all... Yes, this Friday. This coming Friday. Uh, I'll text you.